It's great to have everybody here today. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll be looking at the whole chapter in our time together today. Um, It is great to be back with you. I always, always enjoy being with this group. And and what I noticed is uh, the pews are gone. So this, this is beautiful in here. I love it. Um, really, really nicely decorated, and so it's, it's exciting what God's doing. I want to also thank the uh, worship team again for leading us in worship. Some really, you know, if we, if we just believe and live out what we just sang, we're going to have a really, really good day <laughs> and a good life. So it may be that the shortest baseball career belongs to a fellow by the name of Harry Hartman. In 1918, he was called up to pitch his first game against the old Pittsburgh Pirates. The first batter came up, cracked a single. Second batter came up, hit a triple. Third, walked. And the fourth batter, singled. Hartman had had it. He literally turned, walked off of the mound, walked into the dugout, walked out of the dugout, got changed in the locker room, walked out, found a Navy recruiting station, and was never seen again in baseball. I think that's a sh- there may be a shorter one, but at least that's up there in the top three, no doubt. Wow. Most baseball players aren't like that. But does life ever feel like that with you? Well, you know, you know you're, you're trying, you're, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, and you're just trying to stay the course, you know, trying to honor him in your family and at work, speak a, a word for Christ when you get an opportunity, all those kinds of things, but life just keeps hitting and knocking against you, and it gets hard, doesn't it? I mean, this last year and a half has not been the easiest year for anybody. And to complicate matters, what's happening on the horizon in in, in the whole political arena and in our country is not always the best news for Christians, is it? I mean, do you feel pressured at all? Or just like, oh, no, you you say like, this is really the easiest time I've ever lived. If that's the case, we should talk. Um, Because we feel that pressure, don't we? And, And it's easy to become discouraged and not stay the course that God has set for us. What happens as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we find encouragement from a seasoned veteran of the faith. When Paul writes 2 Corinthians, uh, he has been a Christian for, I'm sorry, he's been in active ministry for 25 years. But when you read through the book of 2 Corinthians, one of the things you find is that this guy has been beaten up all over the place. Here's just a couple things. If, if you read, there's a kind of a litany list in chapter 4 that we're going to be looking at, and then again in chapter 6, and again in chapter 11. And when you read through that list, here's just a couple of the things this guy's been through. He's been homeless, hungry, imprisoned, part of riots, shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, and on and on it goes. If anybody was ready to retire and reach for the bench, it would be this guy. Does that make sense? And so 
when you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you have to ask yourself, what is it that keeps this guy going? I want you to notice two statements that are made. One is, is in verse 1 of chapter 4, and the other one is in verse 16. Listen to what the Bible says. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, here it is, we do not lose heart. And again, look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. So Paul is writing, and he's going to tell us as believers in Jesus Christ, how is it that we stay the course that God has set before us? How is it that, 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 that God can work in our heart in such a way that we can be people who passionately stand courageously for the truth even in a world that doesn't like to hear what we have to say. Like, how, how, like how's that happen? Paul would say there's three great realities that shape him. And those realities help him to go on rather than to give up. And folks, brothers and sisters in Christ, I would argue that those same three realities will help us to go on and not give up. So what are they? The first one is found here in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And what we learn here is that God's gospel, the glorious gospel that God has entrusted with us. Now, now, now work with me here just a little bit. Okay, I'm, I'm going to read verses 1 to 6 here in just a moment. But notice the first word in chapter 4. What is it? Not a trick question. It's the word therefore, right? Which, which, which tells us Paul is referring, he's saying, look, I don't lose heart. Well, Paul... Why don't you lose heart? Well, there's something that he's just talked about in chapter 3 that leads him to that. And it's found in verses 7 through 18 of chapter 3. And what he says in verse 1 is, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Paul is able to say, you know what? And it's so easy for us to take this for granted. But when we come to recognize afresh the wonder of the gospel that God has given us, the message he's entrusted to us. That alone is motivation to stay the course. Is there anything that can compete with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you think of anything? Psychology? No. Science? Uh -uh. You know, I mean, again and again, none of this stuff cuts it. Or Any other religion doesn't work. And Paul is saying... One of the things that helps my people stay on course with what I've called them to do, even though life is rough, even though pressure is coming upon us, so we've got a message like no other message. In chapter 3, in verses 7 to 18, in particular, because of some issues here at Corinth, Paul is talking and comparing what we call the old covenant with the new covenant. And so the old covenant, the Mosaic law covenants from the Old Testament that, 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 that the Israelites were under. And, and, and it, was, it was a wonderful covenant. It was, it was a glorious covenant. But it had its, its, it, it's ha it had its limits. It was all in service to something that was coming after it to which it was ultimately going to point. Do you see? And so what he does in chapter 3, verses 7 to 18, he makes a whole bunch of contrasts. And so he'll talk about in verse 7 that this is a covenant of death. 
And he compares this to a covenant of the Spirit. Or a covenant of condemnation and a covenant of righteousness. A covenant that is transitional, transitory, and one that is permanent. And so he has these whole series of contrasts. And here, here's, here's the point, folks. When you look at the old covenant, one of the things you find is there's limited access, isn't there? So the text will talk about Moses wearing this veil. The people could only get so close, and then you had to work through this intercessor, Moses. But we find, as you read at the end of chapter 3, that with the new covenant, we all stand unveiled looking into the glory of God that we see in Jesus Christ himself. Do you see? Limited access, transitional. At the end of the day, it tells us we're going to die and we can't do it on our own because it's ultimately saying we need Jesus. Do you see? And you and I aren't living in this time period anymore. We're living here. I mean, does the message get any more glorious? I, I, I was um, mentioning to the group in the 8.30 hour, sometimes when I was a kid, I thought to myself, boy, I would love to go back and live in Bible times. I thought like, man, I'd love to go back and see what Moses was doing and those miracles and Elijah, right? You know, good stuff. And yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't mind flashing back to that, actually. It'd be kind of interesting. However, I am much happier to be a New Covenant believer. You know, because as, as, as glorious as this is, this is far more surpassing because that pointed to this. And in this, God has spoken in a final way in his son. And you and I, we get to share this with people. We get to tell people, look, this, this, this message, it doesn't just work for certain groups. Anybody whose heart God is working in, they can come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? You can't ever tell the wrong person. That, as glorious as it is, is incomplete. Um, I don't know if John Bunyan said this. There's some debate. But somebody said it by the name of John. That's all I can tell you. But it's good stuff when it looks at the old covenant and the new covenant. It says this. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Isn't that great? I mean, as you move from here to here, God's, Paul says, therefore, since we have that ministry, I'm not there anymore. I'm here. The fullness God has spoken fully in his son. And Paul says, when I think of that message, like, what else could you do but go on and not give up? Do you see? Tell us a little bit more about this message in 4, 1 to 6. So listen to what he says. So since we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
God's word is like a tiger. All you got to do is let it out of the cage. You know? You don't have to manipulate it. You don't have to prop it up. Just let it go. And so Paul says, what I do is I plainly present it to people. Yeah, but I got to be really flowery. You know what? I mean, be appropriate to the culture. I get all that. We should do those things. But at the end of the day, the power is in the message. Do you see? And doesn't that give us confidence as Christians? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, give the word. Share it. Yeah, what if I blow it? Give it. God will use his word in people's lives. And Paul says, I, I renounce manipulating it. I don't have to distort it. I don't have to prop it up. I just present it plainly. And I let God's spirit do his work from the inside out. Folks, if that doesn't encourage us to go on, I don't know what else will. Because the product is wonderful. When I was in college, I was trying to earn money, extra money. You know how that goes. And uh, somebody approached me and said, hey, I've got this multi-level marketing company that's awesome. It's called Uncle Charlie's. Has anybody ever heard of it? No, for good reason, because it's gone. It's long gone, okay? But it was a coffee company. Um, where you, sell, you, you bought these packs of coffee and they were supposed to be like really good. Problem with that stuff is like really expensive too. You know how that works. But somebody talked me into it. He said, man, this is the best coffee ever. Now there's a problem. I have to admit it to you. I don't like coffee. <laughs> so I was selling a product that I didn't even like. And the worst part about it is my friends, when they would drink it, they said, you know, Doug, that tastes like green bean soup to me. No. So, like, everything was going against me on Uncle Charlie's. And as you are aware, I made, I made my $50 investment. And so I, have all, I had all these little packets. If you need one, let me see. You can see me afterwards. But, but I mean, nobody bought one of those things from me. The product stunk, and I didn't believe in it. <laughs> I didn't even use it. You have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, haven't you? You've seen him enter your own life and transform you. You've seen him do something that nobody else could do. You, no other way to explain it. It's not a psychological game. It's the transformative work of the Spirit that's unexplainable any other way. You've experienced it. You know its quality. There's nothing on earth like it. So give it. Give it with confidence. Live it with confidence. And don't stop, no matter what the pressure is around you, for standing for the truth and loving God and sharing it with others. Do you see? So Paul, what is it that allows you to go on and not give up? Paul would say, it's this glorious gospel that he's given us. It's a message like no other message. What else, Paul? Because, you know, life gets kind of rough, Paul. It's not so easy, and it may even be getting worse when you look at the circumstances around us. So, Paul, what else would you say? Secondly, in verses uh, 7 through 12, Paul will talk to us about God's greatness 
working through us. And he, here, here's the paradox, okay, that he's going to get into. The, the very thing that I wish God would take out of my life, think for just a moment of circumstances in your life right now where you go like, I would like that thing out because it's, it's, it, it brings me pain, it makes me feel weak. We all got those, don't we? It may be sickness-related, it may be relational, maybe something, who knows? It could be all kinds of things. Financial, I don't know what it is. And we often think to ourselves, man, if I could just get rid of that thing, I could maybe do something. Could it be that that very thing you want to get rid of is the very thing that you need so that God can accomplish his purposes through you? Look what he says in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Or could I paraphrase? As you can see there on the screen. Um, we have this treasure in Skippy peanut butter jars. Okay? The point is not the Skippy peanut butter jar. The point is what's in it. Right? So, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? Why, Paul? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. If I tell you, you know what? Stuff gets done in my life because of Doug Finkbeiner. And you say, man, that guy knows how to do it on his own. Who needs God? Do you see? But what if people look and say, Finkbeiner? Like, whatever. That's the point. God will take average, simple people. And when we are a yielded Skippy peanut butter jar, guess who gets the glory when things happen? God. God's power working through us. Look at what he says. I think this is really powerful. When he has this, he has this litany here of, of, of different issues. Um, but, but I want you to notice as I read them, notice how God allows certain things into Paul's life that pushes him right to the edge, but not over. Look, look, look at what it says. Here he, here he goes. Verse 8. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Do you mean God allows these difficult circumstances into my life and he knows just how much I can take and then he stops it right where it needs to stop? Yeah, isn't that what he says in 1 Corinthians 10? You don't have any temptation taken you, but such is is common to man, right? But God will not tempt you in such a way that he'll push you beyond what you can handle by his grace. Rather, what this text says is, God will never allow you to experience things which will ultimately bring harm to you in your relationship with him. You will always be able to accomplish God's design for your life. He, you may be pushed. No, it's, I, I, you'll never be pushed over the edge. Whatever God's design for you is, that can always be accomplished. That's why Paul can say in Philippians, 
I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Paul, you're in prison for heaven's sakes. There is no place where I find myself that God cannot accomplish his design for my life in that moment as he has chosen to do it. If I'm yielded to him. And this text is saying, God puts us in Skippy peanut butter jars, but he knows exactly how much pressure we can take so as not to push us over the edge. Now, be honest with you. Don't you feel sometimes like you've been pushed over the edge? Really? I mean, sometimes you're like, well, I don't know, for me. And this text says no. What God is doing instead is he wants you to turn your eyes away from you and cry out to the only one who can ultimately meet your need and use you in the midst of all that, which is him. So yeah, I'm pushed, 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 but never to the point where I'm no longer valuable to God. He can always accomplish his design through me. He goes on to say this in verse 10. Here's the beauty of all this. We always carry around, carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body so then death is at work in us but life is at work in you. You take that Skippy peanut butter jar, you take that Christian who has difficulty, illnesses, hard circumstances, whatever they might be. And God says, people may look at you and say, wow, your life is kind of tough. It's the death of Christ. I'm like, wow. But God works through us so that the life of Christ becomes a reality in their lives. Through people that look like they're at death's door sometimes. But that's the work of God, folks. So I'm feeling all this pressure. Lord, I just want to kind of pull back and stop. And he says, no, 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 no. Look at the message I've given you. There's nothing else in life like it. And the very thing that's making you feel pressure to stop is the very thing I want to use so that you can accomplish through me, for my glory, what I want in the lives of others. Wow. That's good stuff, isn't it, folks? You know what I love about the gospel? <laughs> Among other things. It always gives us hope. We never find ourselves in a place like, well, pfft, I'm just too far gone at this point. I'm like, whoa, what a way. No, no. Everything counts Everything matters because God is there. I don't know who wrote this poem, but I like it. I think it's called the, the uh, Soldier's um, Prayer. And I, I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but I'm just going to read it to you because I think it makes the point. The writer says, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn to humbly obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness 
that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am, among all people, most richly blessed. Paul could have written that, folks. Don't you think? So this text cries out to us and says, look, look, look. When you're just feeling like you want to reach for the bench, you want to retire, you want to take it easy, you need a breather, whatever the case may be, remember this message. Because there's nothing like it, folks. Nothing else will change the soul. Nothing. Everything else is a quick fix for a short period of time, and it doesn't go deep enough. But this is life-transforming. And secondly, remember this, that God's plan is to show his power through our weakness. Okay, Paul, that's, that's helpful stuff. Um, is that it? And Paul would say, no, 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 I got, I got one more thing for you. And it's found in verses 13 to 18. So, Paul, what keeps you going? I'll explain that. I'm, I'm not in support of the guy on the left, incidentally, that you're seeing there. But, but um, I'll explain that in just a minute. Uh, the picture is Joel Olstein on the left and the Apostle Paul. We don't know what Paul looked like, but a rendition of Paul on the right. And I would argue that their messages are very, very different messages. Because inevitably what happens with so many preachers in our day, if they're not very, very careful is they switch to a perspective that what really matters at the end of the day is this life and this life only. Now, they, they wouldn't even necessarily frame it that way. But really the way they teach, what they're saying is, you can have all the good stuff you want now. Is that true? That's an absolute lie, actually, isn't it? One excerpt from his book, from, from Olstein's book. You were born to win. You were born for greatness. You were created to be a champion in life. God wants you to live in abundance. God is turning things around in your favor. Will that message preach to the children of God down through the centuries? It doesn't ring true, folks. Now, now, if you say, yeah, but isn't, don't we have the most important thing? If we're saved, we have, we have Christ, we're united to Christ, and we have a spirit. Yes, all true. All, absolutely. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you can have good circumstances, you can have some wealth, you can have health, and you can have nice things here and now. Let's live for that. And if you do, you won't live for God at the end of the day. Will you? Because you're going to pull away from anything that keeps you from having that. Because that can never be the end game. The end game is what comes in eternity. And so what Paul talks about is living life now, staying the course, knowing that what we're doing now does count in light of eternity. 
both the resurrection of Christ, I'm sorry, our, well, Christ resurrected, our future resurrection because of Christ's, and also God's gracious reward for his people. Look at what he says, verse 13. And he's quoting here from Psalm 116. He said, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. And if you go back to Psalm 116, one of the things you'll find in that psalm is the psalmist there has been wrestling with problems and circumstances in life. And one of the things he's come to realize in the midst of all that is a sovereign God is over the entire process and is at work in his life and can be trusted. So he says, because I believe that, I speak. I don't hold back. I'm not afraid. I tell the truth because God is big in my life. So because I believe, I speak even in the midst of that. So Paul says, it is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. But Paul, it's hard. And the more you speak, the more persecution you get. Paul says, I know. But at the end of the day, it's worth it. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Is that going to be like incredibly glorious? We are raised together with all the saints and for all eternity we will bask in the presence of the God who is for us because of his son. Forever! Like, you read the end of the book of Revelation, what makes it so wonderful is that God is in our midst, isn't it? And Paul says, you know, when I... And I'm living now, and I'm getting knocked around by people and circumstances, and I'm just wondering about this whole thing. I stop. And I remember, Christ has resurrected. I will resurrect. And I will be forever in the presence of God. And, and the glory of the new heavens and the new earth will go on forever. I... Um, Worried when I was a teenager what I was going to do in heaven. Because it seemed to me you can only sing so many verses of a particular praise song, you know, and after a while it's going to get kind of, get kind of old. Like, like, what do you do? You sing for a million years? Like, I don't know. I, mean, I just, you know, in my mind I was trying to process some of that stuff. And what I can tell you this, brothers and sisters, it is different to mention in the wonders of what God has done, will do, and who he is will enamor us for all eternity. We will never get over it, which is why in Ephesians 2, God, we, Paul makes these statements that, this statement like, for all eternity, he's just going to continue to unpack God's incredible grace on us. I think we're going to go so much deeper into stuff that we don't fully understand now. We're going to go like, oh, you're kidding. Oh, oh man, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, just deeper and deeper and deeper. It's going to be a wonderful time. And Paul says, that's where I look. He goes on to say this. Verse 15. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. 
Paul says, I keep investing, and somehow God uses this skippy peanut butter jar, and God does this work that only God can do through this skippy peanut butter jar in the lives of others. And in the midst of that, I'm thinking about eternity, and God is getting glory for his namesake as more and more people are being impacted because I let God use a skippy peanut butter jar. Isn't that great, folks? And so we stay with this because the very thing that we say, like, I don't want that shouldn't be in my life, is the very thing I need in my life, perhaps, by God's grace to accomplish his purposes. And I look to the future, and I'm enamored by the fact that I will be forever with my God, resurrected body. Can you imagine a resurrected body? No more sickness, no more death. All that stuff will be gone one day, folks. But not now. Not now. So he looks to the future resurrection and he looks to the future reward. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I feel that's become my life verse. But anyway. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. I want you to listen to how Paul describes the litany of problems and difficulties that he faces, specifically in chapter 6 and chapter 11. Listen to what he calls it in verse 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes... Not on what is seen, the here and now, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. How could Paul possibly call his litany of experiences light? I understand the momentary to a point, but the light one? You you go over and read chapter 11, and you're going to get yourself discouraged about halfway through that list. You're like, wow, that's a lot of stuff this guy's facing. You know, there's one problem after another problem. Like, this guy needs a break. And Paul stays at it, and Paul stays at it, and he stays at it. And let me tell you what he's not doing here in chapter 4. Paul is not saying this. The difficulties I face are nothing. No biggie. They're just minor. Oh, really? Shipwrecked, floating out in in, in the water for a period of time, being beaten 39 times on the back by Jews. Would you call that nothing? No. You know what this text does? Think of a scale for just a moment, okay? On the one side of the scale, begin to list all the problems that Paul has faced. Shipwreck. Beaten, riots, robbers, weakness, cares of the church. I mean, you know, you see what the scale's doing? Without minimizing how challenging that is, you know what this text does? It compares it to the glories that are coming. What happens to the scale? Doesn't it? And all of this stuff, which in the moment is hard, is light 
in comparison to what is coming. We're not going to sit around and tell war stories in heaven all the time. Oh man, you should have seen, you should have seen what my neighbor said to me that one day. Or, or man, I'll lie. I can't, you know. I, I, I just, I think in, in glory we're going to be going like, this is unbelievable. Wow. And when we look back at that, we're going to say, hard in the moment, but in comparison, light. Do you see? And what Paul does in this passage, he wants the people of God to stay the course by his strength. To help them, he points them to the message that we have. By the power of the Spirit, we get to know this and share it and live it. There's nothing else like that, folks. Why would you want to back away? Yeah, but it's hard. I know it's hard. I know. I'm not saying it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But those very things that bring hard difficulty into your life may be the very things that God wants to use to show that you're a skippy peanut butter jar. And he will take praise for his name's sake as he transforms people and you as you faithfully walk with him. Do you see? And lastly, as hard as it is, what we face now pales in comparison to the glory of what awaits us. And those truths shape us and encourage us and motivate us to be the people of God that we're called to be. Let me have you pop to the last slide. So what am I saying? I'm saying that a God perspective of ministry produces perseverance in ministry. Or I might say it this way. Go on rather than give up because of the message he has given us, the plan he has designed for us, and the future he has prepared for us. And may those great realities, may God's spirit use that in our heart to shape us and to motivate us into the people he's called us to be. In 1941, in the midst of World War II, Winston Churchill was speaking at the Harrow School where he had attended as a young boy. He gave a short speech and in it, he said this, never give in, never, never, never give in. How much more us? When you face all kinds of pressures and tensions, and it's, you know, it's not like we want to cash out on Christianity. We just want to back off for a period of time. And this text says now, stay the course. Invest. Go through all, whatever it takes. Be the people of God. Whether that's evangelism or discipling people, whatever, whatever. Do it. Never give in. Because of God's message, because of God's plan through Skippy peanut butter jars, and because of the future that awaits us. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, we... We rejoice 
that we know you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, if there's anyone here with us today who has never trusted in Jesus Christ, may this be the day that they bow the knee to him and find the wonder of forgiveness, wonder of being united to him, the wonder of becoming a child of God. Because they allow you to save us because of what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. Father, for my brothers and sisters that are here. Lord, I didn't say anything new today, but I pray that your spirit will remind us afresh of the wonders, the privilege that we have to be ministers for you. We're all ministers, Lord. We just do it in different ways. So help them, Lord. Help them to focus on the incredible message. Help them to remember your plan, power through weakness. And help them, Lord, to rest in the wonders and the glory of what awaits us as a motivation for how we live today. So, Father, do your good work, we pray, through your spirit. Because of Jesus Christ, the great lover of our souls. Amen.